I'm just trying to load up my computer here. And in that moment, uh, you might as well turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. I'll explain why we're going there in a moment. But this morning, I'd like to share with you how Jesus... Now, this may be something we can all assume, but for all intents and purposes, how Jesus can make good out of what seems to be an irreversible, hopeless situation. And that can happen when we surrender, when we submit to his invitation of ultimate kindness. Ultimate kindness. Now, when you think of kindness... There's different things that swirl through our brains, right? Now, I could, like with the youth, say, when you think of kindness, Travis, what do you think about? Mom. Mom is the ultimate definition of kindness. Wow. Acts of service that have been unsolicited. Moms are fantastic. My mom, amazing. In our house, she's actually Batman. She's Batman in the house. My father's Robin in many ways, but... Um, she is fantastic. I can echo what you're saying, uh, Travis. And this past week, I had the pleasure to be with our students at Wonderland, Canada's theme park. It was a great time. You know, there's something for everyone, you would think. You had the coasters for those who like to go up and down, crazy high, crazy fast. My wife is one of those people. Now, I am one of those who like to have the funnel cakes, the, you know, DQs, all those treats. And you can imagine, I'm just sitting there by the Leviathan as my wife slays the beast, and I'm looking up at her, I'm like, that is way too high for me. <laughs> but we had a great time, and in fact, when I, while we were there, I was kind of praying under my breath, saying, God, I, I need a story, I need an illustration for this Sunday. I'm speaking, and obviously you know all things before I even speak it, Lord. And, you know, thanks to my wife, this story was created right in front of my eyes. We're sitting at this bench by the, you know, the, the um, bridge right by Mount, whatever it's called. And, uh, and there's this lady who's, you know, pushing her stroller along. And lo and behold, these two slip-on shoes fly out of the stroller and on the ground. And in a flash, my wife takes off after those shoes, picks up these shoes and gives them to this unexpected mother who, by all intents and purposes, had no clue that those shoes had fallen on the ground. And their day would end up being completely different because her toddler, young person, would not have had their shoes. And you can imagine, I don't believe you can go on rides without shoes and those kind of things. I'm not really sure what a toddler would be riding at Wonderland. But anyway, um, she created this story of kindness. It changed this lady's day. Now, for a moment, I'd actually like to redirect and look at a biblical account of kindness. And we're going to start in what would seem like an unlikely place, a place called Lodabar. Now, if there's any sci-fi uh, fans in, in this place, this Lodabar sounds like it belongs in a George Lucas film. On the far side, the far moon of Endor or something like that. Lodabar. A Lodabar is actually significant in this case because it is the beginning, the origins of this story of ultimate kindness. The story between David and a young man named Mephibosheth. Now you may be wondering as a covenant, new covenant people, why are we spending time in the Old Testament? Let alone why look at the life of Mephibosheth. But I really believe 100% that we will see how this story hits home for all of us. We're going to see connections, foreshadowing all those wonderful things about our own redemptive story through Jesus Christ. 
So let's look at our passage for today in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 to 13. And we'll see this display of God's type of kindness. I'm reading from the NIV. And David asked, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of David, oh, sorry, there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. And so the king asked him, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. And Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Emil, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Emil. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. And so Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. And then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. And so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. And so we see here, there's two settings. The first setting is in Lodabar, as I mentioned earlier. Now, what's significant about Lodabar is its meaning actually is a place of nothing or without. So it's a desolate type of place. It's like a desert where nothing is expected to thrive. And so it appropriately has that name because with all intents and purposes, it has a name of a place of no bread. And so at this location, we have this living descendant from the house of Saul. In all respects, he's living as an orphan. And the reason why he's living as an orphan is because his father, Jonathan, first in line to the throne of Saul, they were both killed at Mount Gilboa at the hand of the Philistines. Now Saul took his own life, but Jonathan lost his at the hands of the Philistines. And so without them in his life, he's now orphaned. He's gone from the future king of Israel to now being a fugitive on the run. Why a fugitive? Because the definition of a fugitive is a criminal who's running or is hiding. For all intents and purposes, because of his bloodline of Jonathan and Saul, his bloodline betrays him. He is on the run. And not only is he on the run, but his feet can't carry him because he's crippled. Our passage mentions many times that he is lame in both feet. 
Now, when you think of the word fugitive, you're probably like me. Um, you're thinking of a certain story. And, you know, it was wonderful. I found this uh, video clip. I think it's going to help give a little bit of color, maybe a little bit of humor uh, to our uh, topic here this morning. So just uh, check this out for a moment. As you, as you can imagine, that is not Mephibosheth, but it kind of serves as a colorful explanation or thoughts of what was racing through Mephibosheth's mind, wondering at any moment King David could be coming after him on his horse. And so he's, he's hiding out in Lodabar. Our second setting is Jerusalem. It's a very different uh, atmosphere. David is there. It's hundreds of kilometers southwest of Lodabar. David's resting comfortably as kings so often do. He's enjoying the newness and expansion of his kingdom. Why? Because the Lord promised to David in the earlier chapters that he would bless his house, that he would establish the throne of his kingdom. He would expand its borders. In fact, he gave him a promise that he would have a dynasty kingship. And out of his bloodline, they would build a house for the Lord where he could dwell. And so in all these promises, David is riding high. He successfully, with the Lord's guidance, led brilliant military campaigns to defeat many of his enemies. The Amalekites, the Philistines, the Moabites, the Edomites. And in all of that, God gives that promise to David. He's going to expand and establish his kingdom. And this ultimately is fulfilled in later generations when Jesus steps on the scene. And in fact, we're still waiting for the return of Christ, referenced in Revelation 5.5, the Lion of Judah. So he comes from the line of David's house. And so when all David had the Lord with him wherever he went. Scripture tells us that he did what was right and pleasing in the eyes of God. Check out this verse in 1 Kings 15, 5. For David did what was right in the Lord's sight, and he did not turn aside from anything he had commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. And we all know the story, hopefully, of David and Bathsheba. One one unfortunate error in King David's life, but beyond that, it says that he did Many wonderful things that were right in the Lord's sight. And so why David? Why talk about this David and Mephibosheth in the relation to kindness? It's because David, next to Christ, is a great representation of a covenantial kingship. Fulfilling promise. Fulfilling covenant. Because he was a man after God's own heart. So if you're taking notes, our first point this morning is remembering a promise. Remembering a promise. We can see right at the beginning of verse 1, David asks, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there are a couple things that you may be thinking here. One of them is, it's customary in ancient times, including in Israel, for the incoming kingship, the incoming administration, to wipe out the previous administration. 
I'm sure political figures in today's world may wish they could do that. But in this case, it was rightfully, you know, you have the rightful thought if you were thinking, okay, the king, he's, gonna, he's calling for uh, Mephibosheth because he wants to, you know, take him out. So he can't lay claim to the throne. Now, what's been happening up to this point is Saul's other son, Ishbosheth, was appointed the very moment that Saul died at Mount Gilboa. Uh, Saul's general, Abner, appointed him as king over Israel. And yet, David was the one who was appointed by the prophet Samuel. And so he was appointed, but then four years later, he was murdered. In fact, by, by men that thought they were, they were doing David a favor. And David was not pleased because they laid a hand on the Lord's anointed. And so for all, for all we know, the house of Saul was being completely wiped out. And so you could assume David rightfully wondered, was there anyone left? And so we see in our text, Mephibosheth, this young boy of five, is now being summoned to the king's court. In 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, it says very simply, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was laying on both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. And so we can see from our own text that the time that David began his search, Mephibosheth was a grown man. He had a son of his own. He was no longer a boy. So you wonder, what was the delay? What was David's delay in calling him to the court? Now, what's another interesting point about this passage is the word kindness. You've probably been wondering, when are we going to get to the word kindness? You're talking about ultimate kindness. Well, here it is. Kindness in the Greek is hesed, which is translated loyal obligation. Loyal obligation. So when Jonathan says, is there anyone left in the house of soul that can show him God's type of kindness, God's hesed kindness, loyal obligation? And when we realize that, now we can assume the reason for David's interest in the information of the whereabouts of the descendants of Saul was not so he could, you know, cut them down, but rather so that he could fulfill a promise to his friend Jonathan, one who he was loyal to, one who he even loved as a brother. And in fact, David and Jonathan shared an oath to one another. In 1 Samuel 20, verse 12, it says, And Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this time, the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed towards you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. And so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as much as himself. And so they shared this mutual 
affirmation, this mutual love, this brotherly love. They were going to bat for each other. Jonathan stood up for David to warn him when he found out that Saul did intend to take his life. And so they had this loyal obligation to one another. But it didn't end there. He also made a promise to Saul. Saul, the man who tried to kill David several times. Several. Could you imagine showing kindness to someone who's tried to kill you? I got to tell you, that kindness is most likely not within me. I need God's supernatural kindness. And here we see David's oath with Saul in 1 Samuel 24. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Look, you got to give credit where credit's due. David did not forget the promise that he made to both Jonathan and Saul. Yes, he was delayed in fulfilling it, but I think a really good practical application of this speaks to me right here, right now, is there's no better time than the present to fulfill a promise. And yet, fulfilling a promise in good time can be good medicine for the heart, can't it? One of my favorite verses is Proverbs chapter 13. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And so maybe you're wondering like I am, how could David extend this kindness to Mephibosheth? I mean, was he nuts? Was he crazy? He's going to welcome the, the grandson of Saul into his house, into his palace. For all we know, he may at one point plot to kill the king. And yet, I really believe this highlights that it was a chance worth taking because it's a kind of kindness that God was calling him to and really reminding him to because of that promise and oath. And so second point, kindness is supernatural. So the king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. As I explained earlier, when Mephibosheth received news of his father's death, he had this life-changing moment. This crazy thing happened. As mentioned earlier, he went from a future king to a fugitive, to a person vulnerable at the mercy of others. And like Mephibosheth, many of us have experienced life-changing moments. Maybe you received news one day from your boss that your job was no longer available. Maybe it changed when you received news that your loved one was in the hospital and dealing with a life-threatening illness. And the list goes on. If you and I were to sit down and, and talk, I'm sure many of you could share all these life-changing stories. One of those life-changing stories is when my father had his heart attack in 2011. Now, he had one recently, um, but in 2011, this one was the big one. It's actually what you call a widow-maker. And I remember very, uh, it was, it was so, it's still potent in my mind because um, that night I came back home from Milton, um, Megan kicked me out of her parents' place, saying, you, you just got to go home. <laughs> and um, so I head back down to Waterford, and I'm glad she did that, because when I arrived, my, my dad was 
uh, you know, going through these big pain, uh, you know, obviously in his chest. And as we rushed into the hospital and on the way, I got to tell you, excruciating feeling because here I am listening to him like wheezing and all those things. Anyone's had a heart attack. It is not a fun time, right? And yet in that moment, I could hear my father praying and that he heard from the Lord these words, you will live. You will live, which, which brought us peace. And of course, we're going between peace and just chaos. Because like my dad, he's like, he's, like, is he going to die? You know? And I'm waiting and wondering what was going to happen. And yet I really do believe that God showed even my father ultimate kindness. Gave him a new lease on life. And I believe this, this passage, as we come back to it, that God's type of kindness involves showing favor to those who are vulnerable to those who are poor in spirit. For Jesus tells us to love our enemies, to do good to them, to lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And he says, then your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the most high. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. So now we can see why David, who is a man after God's own heart, would extend kindness to Mephibosheth. And it highlights for us that kindness truly is supernatural because it's the byproduct of the Holy Spirit. Aren't you thankful for the Holy Spirit? Aren't you thankful the Holy Spirit produces these attributes of God in our life, that kindness that we so desperately need when people are unkind to us? Maybe in our opinion, those who don't deserve our kindness, those who do not love us in return. And yet one of the things that's been challenging me as I, as I was preparing this message is I was saying, okay, Angie, you know what? You're not so innocent. And I, I know that. I, I will be the first one to admit that. And when I realized that I'm not so innocent and I realized my position in Christ and the redemptive story that he's been enacting in my life, I can take that and realize that Jesus has made peace with me. So just as I freely received this peace, should I not extend this peace to others, even those who don't deserve it? In this case, David ends up making peace with a descendant of a bloodline that was out to get David. Look at Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin has entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all have sinned. Verse 17, for if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? And so like Mephibosheth, at one point you and I were without God and without hope. Like Mephibosheth, he was at one point without hope until David stepped into the picture. And so we can be thankful that just like the blood of Jonathan was greater than the blood of Saul, that the blood of Jesus is greater than the bloodline of Adam that flows through our veins. And so I think the encouragement is that when we allow the Holy Spirit to prompt us, to sift through us, that we'll be able to extend that said kindness to others. So next point is that kindness is transformational. And so when Mephibosheth arrived, David said to him, 
Do not be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. And Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? And as I mentioned earlier, you could imagine that when Mephibosheth was summoned to the king's court, you could imagine all this terror, this fear that's racing potentially through his mind, wondering, what is the king going to do? And so rightfully so, when he comes before the king, he kneels before the king, giving him proper honor and respect. And then David, which just blows my mind when I read this passage, he does something completely unexpected. He goes above and beyond the oath, above and beyond. Not only does he spare Mephibosheth's life, but he restores all that was lost. And not only does he restore all that is lost, he didn't just pack his bags. To, uh, he didn't say, Mephibosheth, here's all the gold or, or you know, money in the world. Go ahead, eat and be well. He says, no, 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 come and eat at my table. Come and be at my kingdom. And so like Mephibosheth, our relationship with God has been transformed. We were, with all intents and purposes, dead man walking, fugitives, hostile to God. And so I'm so thankful for this, this verse that can remind us in Ephesians 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. And verse 5, For he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by your grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, so that in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful for the kindness of our Lord, the kindness that he shows us? We are dead men walking, but he's invited us to his table because of what he's done. There's nothing we could do to, to bring ourselves out of our Lodabar. And his kindness is therefore supernatural and transformational because he's taken care of that sin debt. He took care of that sin debt, the wage of sin is death, in his body on the cross, victoriously proclaiming what? It is finished. It is finished. No matter what we've done, no matter the thoughts racing through our minds in our own form of Lodabar, his blood is sufficient for all our sin. Not only that, that he can cleanse our conscience so we're no longer dwelling and living in the past. That's why I love the songs that Travis picked this morning. When you look at all the words that were being sung, he's the king that has brought us to his table. We're able to hold our heads high and live with a clear conscience. And so personally, as I was reading this passage, I was telling myself, you know, Andrew, don't live in Lodabar. Don't try to retreat to Lodabar. But seek after the kingdom of God. Sit in his court daily, praying, communing with God, experiencing his kindness and his enablement to share that kindness with others. And so like Mephibosheth, his vulnerability did not disqualify him. And so in the same way, our vulnerability to sin does not disqualify us because of the grace of God. 
And so we see in verse 11 that Mephibosheth was restored to sonship. Remember, when his father died, he was orphaned. And David says, don't worry, I'm going to take care of that. You're now my son. Come sit at my table. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Jesus said to his followers, he says, you are those who have stood by me in my troubles, and so now I'm conferring upon you a kingdom, and you will sit and eat at my table. Wow. You and I are sons and daughters, brothers and sisters of the king of kings. We have all the protection, all the love that we could ever desire, and it all comes with a simple invitation, the invitation to his kingdom. I love this scripture that says that he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. In Galatians 3.26, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. And so in closing, as the worship team comes, I think you can see, I think, and I hope that this passage is speaking to your heart and your mind of how this story highlights, it shows this incredible relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. This ultimate kindness that he's displayed to us. One of these walking away points that I want to leave with you is that this story illustrates that God's type of kindness was not a emotional reaction. It wasn't something that was done on a whim. It wasn't reactive. But I believe it was calculated. It was planned. He had purpose in it because he was fulfilling a covenant promise to us. What's one of our favorite, most important scriptures? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so I really believe, friends, that when we look at this story, we can see the fulfillment of God's promises to us, the mediator and, and guarantor of the new covenant, restoring what was lost. And as the worship team plays, I just want to read a few verses to you. Allow these, these words to wash over you as they've washed over me even this morning. Hebrews 9, 14. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In John chapter 5, 24, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed from death to life. And so I want to encourage us this morning that God has no desire to leave us in our Lodabar. Imagine what that Lodabar in your life may look like. He doesn't desire to leave you in your shortcomings no desire to leave you in your failures or even bad choices that we've all made, but to lift us up and bring us to his table. I think a good uh, reminder is how Mephibosheth was a young man before the, the promise of the king was fulfilled. Sometimes we don't understand God's timing. 
you know, God, I've, I've sought after you. I've, I've even pleaded with you for you to meet this need, to, to help me out in my situation. But we can trust, I believe from this, this story, that we can trust in his vantage point, if you will. We can trust in his ultimate kindness to make good out of what seems to be an irreversible, hopeless situation. And that happens when we accept his invitation of ultimate kindness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your story to Mephibosheth through the life of David relates to us even here and now. Thank you, Lord, that your kindness transforms us from the inside out. We're so mindful and thankful for your mercy, your grace in our lives. Lord, we thank you that you enable us to extend that same kindness to others. Help us, enable us to love those who do not love us. Lord, we're mindful of your words in Psalms. It says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. You will not always accuse, nor will you harbor anger forever. You do not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is your love for us who fear you. So as far as the east is from the west, you have removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him.